0: All right, last week we ended our sermon series in 1st Corinthians. We started a brand new sermon series today called Jesus Reigns because that is the reality. Jesus was not born to be a king. He was born king. We just sung about it the 1st century longed and waited for the coming of Christ, we, as we turn our attention towards the Christmas season, uh, we anticipate the the return of Christ. And so, what we will do this this over the next seven weeks is examine, investigate the claims of Scripture of the the first coming, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that it would well up in our heart this great desire uh, to long for the return of Christ. This is exactly how First Corinthians ended. It ended with this phrase, "Maranatha," meaning "Our Lord, come, come, Lord Jesus." This yearning, this longing. for for the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And so I I pray that over the next seven weeks, our hearts can be stirred towards that end as we examine the first coming of Jesus. And so some of you will ask, why are we starting a Christmas series before uh, Thanksgiving? Well, because what are we thankful for? Jesus, but uh, other reasons too. Uh, the reason being is cause there's a lot of events around uh, the birth of Christ. A lot of events. Just so you know, like Jesus, uh, it took like nine months to incubate in the in in the womb. So like it wasn't just three weeks. You know, the the Christmas series in the the scriptures, like. Mary carried him for nine plus months, right, And so there's this, uh, before, prior to the, the birth of Christ, there's the foretelling of the coming of Christ and John the Baptist. And there's a lot of events right here uh, that we're going to discuss over the next few weeks. We will get to the birth of Jesus upon uh, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve we will get to the birth of Jesus. Christmas Eve will be Sunday morning. It's a Sunday this year so we get our Christmas Eve service just like we do normal services here every week. And so uh, that's where we're headed. And then we'll end the year in in the same series because we will look at the events that happen after Jesus' birth. Far too often, and far often, we, what we do when it comes to Christmas series uh, and, and studying the events around the, the, the birth of Christ is we compile all of that into like a couple weeks. Well, there's this whole event after the birth of Jesus, the whole wise men thing that you have a your nativity set with Jesus. Well, he's not there yet. They're not there. They're not at the birth. They're in the east. They haven't come. They come later. And so we're going to talk about all of that over the next seven weeks, and it's going to be an exciting time, but with what's centered around this big idea that, that Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. He is the, the, the coming he was the coming king, the conquering king, and he is still remaining the king. Additionally, as we ended our, our study in 1 Corinthians, we also saw that he will reign as king. He does now and he will continue forevermore to reign. And so um, if we will if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. It is about the man we are. We're speaking about today, Jesus. It is about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. And so before his first coming, it was prophesied that, 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 uh, that he would come. Uh, and the prophet Isaiah t- said that the, the setting would be like uh, darkness, is how he described it. And it's because of uh, unbelief in the hearts of men and women. And, and sin had taken over the world, just as we are all experiencing and have lived in that reality. And so one of the things that Isaiah says is that those who dwelled in darkness upon them... The light of Christ, the light has shone. And so this, what we want to see is that when Jesus, and when he enters into the world, and uh, he enters into a, a world that was dark and needed light. He is the, the light. And if you look around the world today, you, the darkness is very palatable. It really is. And so this is one, this is another reason why I want to I want to start this see this Christmas series early so that we have a long time to to linger to to meditate on the the implications and the reality of the first coming of Christ. And some will also ask, why do we use the term Christmas? You know that, and the reason being is because the word Christmas means Christ mass. That's where it comes from. And the word mass is a, is a term used for corporate worship. So we worship Jesus corporately. We actually do Christmas every Sunday, but you know, this is just what it is. We love Jesus. We love worshiping Jesus. And so we love celebrating Jesus, commemorating, remembering his, his first coming is what we're going to do over the next seven weeks. And so um, the question I have as we begin Do you have confidence in all of that? Do you have confidence in everything I just said? Like, do you hear that and you're going, yes, amen, confident? Or do you hear that and you're going, I'm confident about some of those things, some of those things I'm unsure about, the Jesus reigning as king thing. I'm looking around, like, show me some evidence, help me understand. Do you feel that? I sense that as we ended our study in 1 Corinthians that there was a lingering a reality of, 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 uh, in our church that, man, we, just, we, we believe it, but we, we're not leaving the faith, but we just struggle to have confidence. And so this is actually why the book of Luke is written, why Luke writes this book. He says it this way. In as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. This is what I want for us over the next seven weeks, to have certainty certainty. That's the big goal of the series. I want, I want us to be sure of the fact that Jesus reigns, not just uh, appeal to it intellectually, but to the depths of our being, our soul, that we believe that, that Jesus reigns. And this is a good thing, and it, and it is a historical, accurate fact. So what we're going to be doing throughout this series is we're going to study Luke 1 and 2. And then we'll hit up Matthew 2 at, the, at the, the very end of the year for the last sermon of the year, uh, looking at the events that, 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 that came after Jesus' birth. But we're looking at Luke 1 and 2 for the majority of our time. And the reason being is because this is a historical investigation of Jesus. And I want us to see this, that our Christian faith, it rests upon historical fact. It's not speculation, but it's revelation from God to His creation to mankind. The, the scriptures teach this clearly, that it is, it is Jesus Christ who rules and reigns. But there is a, the scriptures also teach that there is a counterfeit king, Satan and his minions, the demons. They are, he's called the adversary, who we're told in Revelation, he accuses, he accuses the saints night and day. He seeks to distort, disrupt, and, 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 and confuse, not give us confidence, but confusion. So if you feel discouraged, you feel that, that that, that man, man, your view of the scriptures have been distorted and there's seeds of unbelief in your heart, Luke is writing to a, a people that he wants to unroot those, the, the deception, un- give courage where there's discouragement where there's distortion create clarity in reality he wants to instill confidence in his friend Theophilus we're going to talk about who he is in a minute but but I want us to see that that the scriptures are clear that Jesus is king the scriptures are also clear that there's a counterfeit king and that, that, that it's true that there's a there's a spiritual realm in the in the in the unseen realm where there's fighting for our souls in ways that we can't see but the big idea wraps around who is king and so for us, in our day and age, we can, might find ourselves discouraged, might find ourselves confused. We might find ourselves losing hope. We might find ourselves not having great confidence. And so what if you do find yourself, man, you're confident, you're full of courage, you're, man, you, you have a lot of hope, then, then you need to pour in courage and confidence and hope into your peers and, and your family members, uh, Christian brothers and sisters over this season. Because this season, the Christmas season, can be a really hard season. For many, uh, it's a reminder for some of of those they've lost. And so they're like, how is this a rejoicing season? Because I used to rejoice in in certain ways that I can't can no longer rejoice in. But 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 what overarches this whole reality is this good news that, that Jesus Christ is king and he's come and he's entered into the mess we find ourselves in. And he's ruling and reigning. And Luke understands this, he knows this, and he wants his friend, Theophilus, to worship Jesus, to trust Jesus, to believe in Jesus, no matter what season of life he finds himself in, whether he's encouraged or discouraged, whether he has hope or he's hopeless, whether he's rejoicing or the the joy is fleeting. He wants him to anchor himself to the true reality of the person and work of Jesus, and so Start with this, let's start with answering the question, who is Luke? Who is this guy who really wants to, to give this information to his friend? Like That's cool that he wants his friend to be confident, but like, who is Luke? Some of you are like, well, it's in the Bible, so he's got to be a cool guy. Well, yeah, he's a cool dude, but who is he? Who is he? Some of you may not be Christians. You're like, man, now, why are we trusting this guy Luke? I heard his name. I don't really know anything about him. Who is this guy? Well, here we go. He's, uh, he's, he's the author of this, the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the, the, uh, the Book of Acts. That follows the four gospels. And so uh, what he, it's likely he's writing between 30 to 60 years after Jesus, his death, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So he's writing, this is important because uh, this is a historical window of opportunity to corroborate and figure out what really happened. This is very important. So quickly after the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, that, that there was accounts spreading about uh, what was going on. Who is this man? Who ra- rose from the dead? Everyone's talking about it. So Luke says, hey, I'm going to figure out, I want to I make a, what he says, an orderly account for the people. I want, I, for, for Theophilus, I want him to understand. I want him to be certain concerning the things he's been taught. So you're being taught some things and he wants them to be certain, him to be certain about it. So he's undertaken to, to, to interview eyewitnesses, to follow closely, to write this account. And so Luke is, is taking this historic, strategic opportunity for investigation. That's what he has done. That's what he has done. And so if we remember back in in 1 Corinthians, as we got closer to the end, we saw that Jesus not only rose from the dead, but he appeared to over 500 people at a time. He had meals with people. like people. So those people are running around talking about Jesus now. They saw the resurrected Christ. And so this is is as things are being written down, historical accounts are being gathered. This is quickly after the resurrection of Jesus. And so he's taken long bouts of time to, to, to research and write this orderly account. And so uh, he's not a. He did not grow up Jewish. He doesn't have a, a, a Jewish background. So I mean, he didn't go to synagogue. He didn't uh, follow the Jewish heritage. He didn't uh, go to festivals, feasts. He didn't have a great understanding or a working understanding of the Old Testament, like uh, maybe Matthew did, who was a who was a Hebrew man. Uh, but so he. Some of you, this is you. You didn't grow up going to church. This would be like you. You didn't grow up going to church. You didn't know about uh, Christmas, Easter. You didn't really follow the festival. You knew about them, like maybe you knew about them like it had to do with Jesus. But I don't really know about. That's just who they worship. You just you had a under, cultural understanding, but not a, uh, a a relationship with the God of the Bible. You didn't grow up knowing, loving, walking next next to near Jesus, and then Jesus saved you later in life. This is like Luke. You're like Luke, and so some of you, if that's you, you you kind of grew up if you especially if you became a Christian later in life. You're like you're like a skeptic from the start. You're like, hey man, I I I'm a skeptic. i I'm, and this is Luke. He, he, is, he is naturally skeptical. Moreover, he's a doctor. We see this in, in, in he's a medical doctor in Colossians 4. Uh, and so one of the things about this is he's a, he's a man who studies, uh, but he also like tests and tries things. He wants to, he uses what we now know as the scientific method, right? He wants to figure out, is this really true? Is, is what's being claimed actual fact, he was also friends and, and, and he accompanied the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, he helped perhaps also with his research and help. He just helped the Apostle Paul. Uh, so much so that we're told in 2 Timothy uh, uh, 4 that, that when Paul was in prison, that Luke was like the only guy who didn't abandon him. So he was near the Apostle Paul. Likely he, it was the Apostle Paul's f- uh, personal uh, physician. If you don't know who the apostle Paul was, he wrote 13 books of the Bible. He met Jesus face to face after he was a Christian killer. Uh, Jesus saved him. So Jesus can save anyone from their sins, like Paul. So Peter, or sorry, so uh, so Luke sees this. He sees this. He's walking with Paul, writing, uh, helping him study. Uh, he's he's helping him after he's you know the, the the crowds gather stones and rocks to throw at him. He's 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 bandaging him up. He's helping him get back on the mission field. This is Luke, and he's good friends with the apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. Moreover, he is he is a doctor, and so we have to understand like he believes like he in science. Like he's not he's not he, he believes in God and in science. So you know, you watch Natural Liberate like it's possible if you don't get that, but then you can go back and, and, and watch that. But like uh, he he's a guy who tests the science to see if it's true. He's been baptized as well, you know, uh, there you go. Uh, scholars would say that he is very well educated, not just well educated, but his Greek was very excellent, so he's, he has a high IQ, very excellent with his Greek, and, and he's known now as a great historian. Midi hats, histo- doctor, uh, physician, uh, you know, bandage man, cut man in the ring with Paul. Then you have, uh, he's also a historian, and he's also an evangelist of sorts writing this, this letter. So he, he's, what he's done is he stewarded his time, his talent, his treasure after he became a Christian to point people back to the one who saved him, Jesus. And so the purpose of this gospel is that he would it, investigate the claims of Jesus. That's what he says in verse 1, that, that the things that have been accomplished among us, he, he, he said there's been things a, a, that have accomplished among, a, among us. I want to write to make sure you're confident, All right, Theophilus, I want you to, that you're confident in these things. What are those things? Things like the virgin birth? Have you ever thought, wow, that sounds pretty impossible. What about the time when Jesus walked on water? Seems impossible. What about the feeding of 5,000 people with just a few fish and some loaves? Are those things true? Like, which things are, are actually true about Jesus? Like, like uh, I want to know. So he's gone to great lengths to study to figure out the claims of, of, of Jesus. And so that is the purpose of Luke's gospel, is, is an investigative, uh, to investigate the claims of Jesus. And what I want us to see here is that he's, he's, he, he wants to know, did these things really happen? If they did, how, how do we know? Are they, so are they fact? That's his whole point here. And he's saying he's, uh, he's been trying to figure out exactly what happened. But, but when we read it now, he's, not, he's no longer in research mode. He's, he's showing us findings to Theophilus. But he has undergone uh, maybe up to 30 years of research. If, this, if he started in, in, in 30 years after Jesus rose and if it was published around, uh, you know, 62 AD, then he may have spent over 30 years of research on this. Who knows how long? He spent a lot of time on this research. I want us to see this. I want us to give confidence. We live in a day when people say they're going to do their research. They mean go to Google for 10 minutes. I researched this that's why i'm now paleo <laughs> if you're offended then just research some more you can be carnivore you can get vegetarian along the way if you want like, i got no no judgment here i'm just saying when we say we research things huh We're kind of like our government when we research. Don't don't be offended. Just this is the facts. Your research is kind of like theirs. When they said, hey, this vaccine is going to fix everything. There's 0% chance you're going to get COVID. And then it happened. And they were wrong. They didn't apologize. You don't apologize for being wrong about your research either. Like I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying this is why we don't trust research. This is why we don't trust the Bible. Because you don't trust yourself. You're like, I don't really, I don't really, I mean, I, I researched, like TikTok told me. Like the memes give me my recipes, like that's like, and that worked, so I believe that one. But like if there's, just, I know it's you're a little squirmy right now, it's okay. It's okay. It just, this is not what Luke's doing. <laughs> He's not doing that type of weak research. He's actually taking time to study, to act, to talk to people. What he, he, what he has done is he's, uh, in, he's, he's sought out what we're ta- we're, the oral traditions. What we say when he says the, the, the word that had been proclaimed among them, he, there, the word had been gone out. What this means is that, um, that what are people saying and repeating? That's what oral tradition is. What are people saying and what are repeating? So he's hearing what people are saying. He's going, is this true? This is fact checking. This is what, you know, he was, he was, uh, he was, he was, he was was fake newsing before it was a thing, right? He was figuring it out. Is this really fake? That's what, that's his posture. He wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to believe everything I hear. He's going to, what are people saying and is it True. So he's doing his research. He's investigating the oral traditions that are circulating. That guy said that. That girl said that. That person said that. Well, hold on, hold on. Let's compile that all together. Let's figure out an orderly account because uh, if that's true, then there's big implications. Of it. If that's true, then that contradicts. So what, what, what is true? Any of you feel that way? Like, what is true? This is why when we read the scripture, like we have great confidence because someone underwent the great work to write an orderly account for us. And this is why we, we are so grateful for Bible scholars and, and theologians and, and those who would do the great study work here. And so what he would do is it seems like he would, he would interview people, sit down with the people. Like 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. So he's like, I got a lot of people to talk to. Let's go talk to them. What was that like? Oh, he's also with the Apostle Paul. By this time, uh, other, other books of the Bible were being written. Like, so the, the Gospel of Matthew had been written. The Gospel of Mark had been, likely been written. And so he's examining other Gospel writers. And like, what are they saying? And for some of you who might think, like, well, then he just copied and pasted whatever they said. Like, that's his research. No, copy and paste didn't exist. Uh, plagiarism did, but that's not what he did. You know why? How do we know this? Because 41, there's 41 unique passages found here in, in Luke, that are not found in the other Gospels. Like, and then John writes it completely different. Uh, it's, the, it's accurate. It's the same story, but he talks about it from a different perspective. Matthew is telling a, a Jewish history. Uh, we have uh, Mark just giving us real short, concise, like, you know, you know editor's notes of what happened. Luke is going to compile a long uh, account for the Gentile, the non-Jew, for us, so that we would believe what it says. And so what I want us to see here, what he is doing is he's he's filling the gaps between the other gospels so that we can get one big picture of the person and work of Jesus. Additionally, he's likely with the Apostle Paul, so that as those letters are, are circulating, he's being an eyewitness to the Apostle Paul and the work that Jesus is doing in the lives of people in that moment. So this is like a firsthand account, and he's he's interviewing firsthand witnesses eyewitnesses he's also searching the scriptures that are being that have already been written like mark and, and Matthew letters that are circulating and he's compiling all this and distilling this out into what is what can be true what does he know to be true and if he doesn't know what to be true he doesn't put it in there he only there's some things that were probably very true that just didn't get in there because he couldn't corroborate it and because maybe someone wasn't alive he, he's giving us the truest form uh, uh, possible. This is his big idea. This is why he can say the Theophilus, I want you to have confidence. Confidence. Now, there may be some who say, either here or online, that I, I don't believe the Bible. Like, I just don't believe the Bible. It can't be true. Blah, 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 blah. And that's kind of always usually how it sounds. Because why? Okay, based on what evidence? This is the claim I want anyone who who questions the authority of the Scripture, I simply ask, based on what grounds? What research have you done? What research have you done that that, that compares to the research done in the Scriptures and the research that's been done about the Scriptures? Luke is this very well-educated, probably more educated than many of us, He's naturally dis, uh, predisposed to doubt as a doctor. He's trying to figure out what is actually true, not what people are saying. No, that's symptomatic, or is that causation? What is this? He's therefore investigating the facts. That's what he wants to know. Moreover, this thing is funded by a man named Theophilus, who we're about to get into. Uh, but this man, Theophilus, worked for the, was a Roman governor. Like, Luke's reputation was online. And this man, Theophilus, wealthy man, who's going to fund his research... That dude's reputation was on the line. So Luke didn't have much, much, ba- or much margin to mess up. He needed this to be accurate, to be true. So this man, who is this man? So Luke, we see his purpose. He wants us to be confident. We see who he is. He's this great physician uh, and, and, and now historian. And this man, Theophilus, who is this guy? He calls him the most excellent Theophilus. This, this term, most excellent, is a, is a uh, state official title. In, in the Roman world. And so we see this in, in Acts 23, uh, Acts 24, and Acts 26, this title given. Uh, in, in, both of the, in all three of those times, it, it speaks to a Roman governor or political leader. That's what this man is. So this is a dude who's, who's well-funded, uh, and, he's, and he's part of the Roman government. This is a non-Christian government. And he, this man, is, he, he's been taught the Bible, so we don't know if he's yet a Christian yet, or he's a new Christian, or he's just being taught the Bible we know he's a Gentile by his name. He's like Luke, uh, and so his name actually means, which is interesting to me. Uh, it means "lover of God." This is awesome. Like sometimes people, like God is 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 he he's preparing someone for their future and they get a name, they're not a Christian yet, like Theophilus, like lover of God, and like he's not a Christian yet, then he becomes a lover of God. It's like when I have friends who are named Christian, and they're not Christians yet. I just call them Chris. I really do, and then I tell them I'll call you Christian when you become a Christian. You get like, they, sometimes they get real offended by that. I'm like, listen, like your mom gave you that name because she wanted you to be a Christian. You don't, it's not my fault you don't want to be a Christian. You'll be a Chris, and then you'll be a Christian. It'll be really awesome. It's a, uh, It's biblical. This is what Theophilus does. He becomes a Christian. He becomes a lover of God. And so we're not sure if he's a new Christian or a struggling Christian. So if you're a new Christian, praise be to God. If you're a struggling Christian, just so you know, you might be like Theophilus in this regard. But... Uh, Ambrose, the 4th the century church father, he said this about Luke's gospel. He says, so this gospel was written to Theophilus, that is to him who loves God. That's what his name means, right? Uh, and so he says this, if you love God, this was written to you. So let me hear, if you're a new Christian, this will help you uh, grow grounded and founded in the word of God and the truth and the factual, historic, accuracy of the, the first coming of Jesus Christ and all the claims of Jesus. That's what the gospel of Luke is written for. If you are a uh, um, a a struggling Christian, you're struggling maybe like the office with the claims of Christianity or the things that you've been taught, you're struggling and you want to have confidence, this book is for you. And if you're just one who just loves Jesus, you're passionate about Jesus and you just really love hearing, talking about, worshiping, knowing Jesus, this was also written for you, for the lovers of God. And if you're not a Christian in here, it's written so that you would become a lover of God. Teach this to our kids all the time. We love God and we want to make Him known. We do. So, this is exactly what the purpose of this book is to love God and to make him known. And so, what I want to do now is I want to give you three claims of Jesus told by Luke uh, as as he's researched and as he's proven these facts. I'm going to give you three claims. He says this the first one Jesus said he was Lord. This is a claim. I want you to see this. This isn't Luke speculating. This is now he's saying he's only taking what he knows to be fact and bringing it into his letter. And so Luke four, then for uh, Luke four eighteen through nineteen, and then verse twenty eight and thirty, Luke says this. Uh, he, he retells the account of what happened, and this is Jesus speaking. He says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So this is what Jesus said. Luke is telling the account. Luke has researched and said, this is fact. Jesus really did say this. And this is what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind and and and, and, and to set liberty to those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus quoting... The Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 61. So Jesus is saying, I'm fulfilling this scripture that was written uh, two 3,000 years prior to Jesus walking on earth. He's saying, I'm this guy. Well, the fun fact about Jesus saying this is the context. And so Jesus is rolled up in the synagogue and on the Sabbath, and he and it's time for the scripture reading. Jesus gets picked to read the scripture. So just a what they would do is they would read a scripture, and then continue with their church service and the next week they'd pick up right where they left off and they just keep going kind of like we do verse by verse through books of the bible like they would just do that well jesus it's his time to read the scriptures he walks up and he sees where they're at and he goes nah, not that one and it's the scriptures tell us in, in luke 4 that jesus went and found this scripture so that he could say it in the first person the spirit of the lord is upon me I'm not quoting what Isaiah says. He's saying, I am he, I am this man, I am the one, I am the Lord. I'm not. I'm saying Jesus said that. Like, Jesus is saying that. And so this is what he is doing. And what's really interesting and, and pretty awesome to me is that uh, this is exactly, if you remember, so if you're struggling with your faith, okay, Jesus said it. he quoted the scripture, he's fulfilling. if you're struggling with your faith, you're struggling with your faith. There's a man who we're going to learn about a little bit more in this series called John the Baptist. His name's John the Baptist. He's the forerunner to King Jesus. There was a day, he, was, he, was, he started his ministry very bold, proclaiming repentance, the kingdom of God, speaking, pointing to Jesus. He baptizes Jesus. The spirit comes down like a dove. It's an awesome scene. So some of you, that's you. You've experienced Jesus in a mighty, powerful, profound, miraculous way. But you find yourself in a season where you're struggling, you're doubting, you're discouraged. Well, John the Baptist, towards the very, very end of his life, before he breathes his last, because he's persecuted and martyred for being a, a Christ follower, that's essentially what, he's, what happens. Before that happens, John is doubting. He's struggling with his faith. So he sends two of his disciples, that's four, Two. Uh, he two of his disciples to go see Jesus and ask him, hey, are you really the Messiah? That's what he asks. Are you really the Messiah or should we wait for someone else? Like I'm about to be martyred for my faith. I'm struggling with doubt. I'm living in unbelief. You've ever been there? you maybe walk with Jesus for many years. You've seen great mighty powers. You've seen his, 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 his glory on display. And you find yourself in a season where you feel like there is a lot of great darkness. You're discouraged. You just, you feel hopeless. This is John, the, Baptist, the guy who baptized Jesus. I'm just saying this. None of y'all got to baptize Jesus me neither like like he got to baptize Jesus he's also his cousin super cool family great family their Christmas was awesome just think about it and he this the and, and moreover John the Baptist is the man who Jesus says was the greatest man on earth outside of him like there's there's like Jesus king and then there's John the Baptist not necessarily that close but like he was number two everyone else way after and he's struggling with his faith. Is this real? Like, is he really the Messiah? Like, I put all my faith into this, and I'm coming down to the end of my life, and I'm struggling. I'll be honest. Like, I've been there, and I'm there often. Like, you just get there, and you're just like, we're, we're taking a lot of risk. There's a lot of, like, I've lost a lot of friends. I've, people now think things that are untrue about me, but that, that hurt. Like, I've been there, and just going, like, this has got to be true, right? What does Jesus say? This is the awesome. This is awesome. Jesus says, it's not going on the screen, I'm going to read it to you, because it wasn't my notes till this morning. Luke 7, same author, Luke, writing, verse 22 and 23 of Luke 7, he says, Jesus' response to this scene where John's doubting, it says, go tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. This, the blind have received their sight, the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who who hears this and is not offended by me. What did Jesus just say in Luke 4? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the recovery of the sight of the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed. This is exactly what Jesus says. This is, I am that guy who's going to do that. John the Baptist says, hey, I'm struggling, I'm worried, I'm, I'm doubting. And Jesus says, well, hey, tell him that This has come to pass. Tell them that this has happened. That the blind see, the sick are healed. Like, I am Lord. And if that doesn't make you think that Jesus' claim wasn't true, here's what what their response was in verse 28. It's on the screen. When they heard these things, and all the synagogue was filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the, 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 the edge of the hill where the town was built. So they could push, they could throw him off the cliff. They could kill Jesus. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is awesome. They got so upset that Jesus changed their, their, their order of service, proclaims this scripture is about me, that they, they, go, they seek to kill him because they're like, you're claiming to be God. You can't do that. Only God can do that. And he's like, hey, fun fact, I am. Lord, this is why I can do this. But moreover, they try to push him off the cliff. Just imagine a, a crowd. They're trying to push him off this cliff, and he just goes, he just passed through in their midst. He's like, nah, not my time. This is crazy. They can't kill him. We're going to learn about this later, but also, the, the government tried to kill him at his birth. They couldn't kill him. Jesus' whole life, they keep trying to kill him, and they never succeed. Until he says, okay, now it's the time. He keeps saying, not my time, not my time. No, what we need to know this. Jesus said he was Lord. He is Lord, meaning no human government, no system, no mob, no crowd, no authority in heaven or on earth can take Jesus' life from him. He must willfully lay it down. And this is what we see here. The second thing, the second claim we see told by Jesus Written to us by the author of Luke, or by the author who is Luke, it says this in Luke chapter five, verse 20. It says that Jesus said he is God who forgives sins. Verse 20, he says, "When he saw their faith, he said, "Man, your sins are forgiven." He's talking to the, the, this man, this man was, was crippled, he was not able to walk, and so what his friends did was he, they lowered, the, they, they pulled open the roof, they laid this man down at Jesus' feet, and Jesus looks at him and says, "Hey man, hey, your sins are forgiven." And the scribes, the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who's, who is this who speaks blasphemies for who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sin? They're like, he, who's this man? He can't forgive sin. So Luke, investigating this claim, wants to ask this question. How can Jesus do this? Not only say he forgives sins if he's not God, what's, what's, what's going on here? In, in, in verse 22, he says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts... He answered them. So he's interviewing people and going, hey, what actually happened? Well, Jesus, not only he's about to heal this man, but he forgave that man's sins. And these guys were just thinking some stuff. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And that story had been circulating after this event. And so this is one of the events that is factually, accurately true that gets put in the scripture that Luke writes. And so In verse 22, when he says, Jesus perceived their thoughts and so he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? They didn't ask this out loud. They just believed it in their hearts. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows your thoughts. He knows the intentions of your hearts. He says this, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? This man can't walk. Paralyzed. Verse 24, but... That you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he was lying on and went home, glorifying God. Jesus said he was God and the God who forgives sins. And Luke wants you to know that, he wants you to know it's true. Why? Because we need sins forgiven. We can't atone for our sins. We can't fix the mess we're in. Some of you feel that at a great, deep level right now. Jesus wants to heal you, and I need you to know that He's the only authority that can forgive your sins. We can forgive one another of sins, but we can't ultimately forgive eternally anyone of their sins. What do you need forgiven? What do you need cleansed? There's only one who has the authority to do that. That's the God, man, Jesus. He claimed it. It's accurate. It's true. Jesus forgives sins. See, I need us to see that there's, there's more mercy and grace in the Lord Jesus than there is sin in you. If you like, I got a lot of sin, like, Praise be to God that you're aware that you have a lot of sin, but I need you to see that His mercy is that much more. I was thinking about this image this week. Uh, I was talking to someone about this very idea of the, of the, the magnitude of God's mercy and, and grace, and I was thinking of big wave surfing. If you're not into big wave surfing, that's okay, but just imagine a 100-foot wave and watching a video of someone riding a 100-foot wave, and you see the person on the 100-foot wave. That's pretty cool. Really awesome. It's, it's, it's awesome, but then you see like they get crushed by the wave if they don't make it out like that's it's, it's crazy right like they, like a little dude compared to 100 foot wave that's that's massive right i need you to see uh, that your sin is like the way the guy on the wave jesus mercy and grace is like the 100 foot wave that's going to crush and that's even barely describing it it's infinitely more it's infinitely more. There's so much mercy and grace in Jesus than sin in you that you couldn't even imagine if you saw it in its full capacity. And so when Jesus says he is God, believe him. When he, when he says that he forgives, then understand you're forgiven. If you know, love, and trust Jesus, you are forgiven. But someone needs to hear this today that you should forgive yourself also. If Jesus has forgiven you, why have you not forgiven yourself? Why not? Do you have authority over yourself to forgive sins? Do you have authority to atone for sins? Do you have the ability to to take what God has made and and, and claim authority over it? No. You can own your sin, absolutely. You are guilty of that. But Jesus has taken your place for your sins. He has forgiven you of your sins. He has been justly punished on your behalf. Which is number three, what he says he would do. The third th- claim, Jesus said, that he would die and rise. He would die in the place for sinners. That's the point. Luke 18, 31 through 30, he says this, Asking the twelve, he said to them, See where you are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man and by the prophets will be accomplished. So Jesus is talking, he's like, hey, everything that's been written in the Old Testament is going to be accomplished through me. Verse 32, he's going to tell them a new prophecy. He's telling them what something's going to happen in the future. He says, verse 32, for he, meaning Jesus, will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. Jesus even even details out beforehand, they didn't get spit on. He doesn't get spit on. He tells the, his disciples, hey, here's what's going to happen. So when it happens, you can bet your bottom dollar that it, it was true. It's true. Jesus prophesied what would happen, and it indeed happened. He again declares himself to have the highest authority. No one can take his life, but only he uh, can give his life. But look what he says. He says he has the, will, the, the, the authority to wield to save sinners. He says he's going to defeat death. He's going to die. They're going to kill him. And then he's going to raise from the dead. I want you to see this. The, 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 the cross of Christ is, it, it happens in, 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 in a just way in this. Imagine a courtroom where you're in, the, you're in the courtroom. You're guilty. The judge comes up, bangs the gavel and says, guilty, punishable by death, eternally. You are guilty of your crime. You're like, no, I am guilty. I did it. Like, I, I can't argue back. My mouth is stopped. But you are guilty. He declares you guilty. And then he steps up again and says, innocent. Well, oh, that seems far-fetched. Like, I'm totally guilty. We see that the, the, I'm guilty. It's been proven that I'm guilty. He says, innocent. You're forgiven. You're like, wow, this is awesome. Forgiven. <sighs> On what grounds? Because right now... You've been, you may be forgiven, but justice has not been served. No one, There's no been a penalty due to your crime paid. But then he, the, the same judge stands up and offers him his son to pay your penalty. His guiltless son, his sinless son, his eternal son. This is what Jesus does. He substitutes himself on our behalf. He's crucified, beaten, flogged. He says spit upon, mocked, mistreated on our behalf. He was wrongfully executed and murdered in the place of sinners so that what he said in in Luke chapter 5 can pay out, that that check can clear. Forgiveness of sins and just absolution for the sinner. where Jesus takes the place of sinners. This is at the cross of Christ we see God's justice and mercy collide, offering to us his forgiveness eternally. See, the birth of Jesus, the, the, the incarnation, the, the first coming of Jesus, talking about it, celebrating, commemorating it, remembering it is futile. It's pointless without the resurrection, without the person of Jesus, his sinlessness, without the, the work of Jesus, his righteousness uh, uh, acquired on our behalf. The work of him being crucified, executed, murdered, and risen from the dead. All of those things, if they did not happen, if they're not historically accurate and true, then why in the world are we sitting around every single year celebrating the birth of some guy who just died like everybody else who said some things? He's, his claims are either true or they're not. As we said before, C.S. Lewis has talked about it and, and has written about it, that Jesus is one of three things. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he really is Lord like he says he is. Why would we celebrate th- this Jesus Christ coming to earth if he's just a liar? If you think Jesus is a liar, then, then don't celebrate Christmas. Like, I'm not a Christian. I, even more so, why do you celebrate Christmas? Oh, presents are great. I know that he's called the gift. He's the best gift. Salvation is a gift. You like gifts? Awesome. Believe in Jesus. You have the gift of eternal life. And if he's a lunatic, then we are too for celebrating it. But he is Lord. This is why we remember, commemorate, celebrate the first coming of the Lord Jesus. the, The dawning of our King. Leads us with this. Jesus reigns. Luke 1, 31 through 33. Behold, this is, t- this is again prophecy about the Lord Jesus. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. This is to Mary. And, and you shall call, him, call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. For his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus was not born to be a king. He was born a king. The birth of Jesus really is the the dawn of his kingdom. The incarnation is the coming of the king. And Jesus' kingdom will have no end. This is what we are celebrating. This is what we are remembering. This is what we are rejoicing in. That the king, the God of the great light has shined on darkness. Offering salvation to sinners. We who dwell in great darkness, we need Jesus the great light. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus is Jesus running after you to seek and save you. One of my favorite theologians or uh, Bible teachers, uh, John Piper, said it this way. I'm going to paraphrase it. I don't have it quoted, but you know, here's what it is. He says that the incarnation of Jesus is like the preparation, was was the preparation of nerve endings for the nails of Jesus that would be pressed into his hands. He needed fleshy cheeks so that Judas could kiss them. He needed a brain and a spinal column so that the exquisiteness of the crucifixion could be fully felt. The incarnation of Jesus really is the preparation for the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb who'd be slain for sinners. So that when John the Baptist says, behold, the, man, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, this would be true. Jesus coming to earth through the womb of his mother Mary is the dawning of his kingdom. And we see that Herod, it, it shocked the first century, the first world. We're going to talk about that in the days to come. But I want us to think about this and linger over it as we investigate these claims. When We look at the evidence that's piled up about the the implications of Jesus Christ this Christmas. I I don't want us to just hear it, but I want us to think about it, linger over it, meditate on it day and night. Jesus reigns. He reigns now and he will forevermore. What we're going to do right now is I'm going to end our service or the sermon a little differently than I normally do. It is Thanksgiving. And so I'd like to end our, thing, end our time by celebrating things that we're, we're thankful for, what Jesus has done over the past year. And so while I do that, I'm going to end with also talking about our, our Christmas giving campaign, which I spoke to last week that we said we would, we would speak in more clarity and great detail this week about that. So what are we thanking Jesus for this year? If you were with us this time last year, it was we were in a bit of a frantic panic. We were meeting at an obscure time. We were running out of time at our current location. Uh, we didn't have many options. We had no options actually. We were on a very strict budget. We didn't have any money. We couldn't afford anything, and we were just begging God to show us what was next. And uh, at the beginning of the year, A the silent the the, the organization that this building is and uh where they operate out they reached out to us um and originally we didn't have plans to move in here we we tried to make things work Uh, originally it just didn't seem like it would work out but here's the crazy thing they kept praying for us they kept praying for us they were asking god can we want a church here and then they started doing research on us and i was like man i'm a pr nightmare for you like you don't want us here like in alamo heights run here like they they cannot handle this uh and so they're like, no, we, we've done our research. We want, you, we want this church here. And so after some time, we, it, made, it was clear that God wanted us here. And so during February and March, we ironed out the details. And starting uh, April, the first week of April, we moved in here. And three months later, we doubled in size. Three months. We hadn't grown like this in, in maybe ever and then we moved quickly to two services, and now if you we we have kids bursting out of the seams. We have kids in the womb. We're already stacking up, you know, numbers for next year. We got we got January, February, March. If you want to keep jumping on that train, you need a baby in the womb. Go ahead. There's a line already getting ready, uh, and so we've just produced. We're multiplying in every ways: converts, babies, marriages. Uh, uh, we we've seen God multiply and move in in many ways. Moreover, we've seen new groups, new leaders, new deacons, new members. Just in every stretch of our imagination, it, there's been more and multiplication. Moreover, we've seen more people repent of sin, marriage healed. We've seen significant maturity in our church. And if you're here today and you're going, this doesn't seem very mature, you should have seen us last year. I'm just saying, like, or the year prior. Like, I'm just like, it, there's significant maturity. Like, take the expert, or my expert meaning, like, eyewitness account. Like, we've matured. Um, and if you're not mature, welcome. We want you to mature with us. Like, that's the goal. Jesus is maturing his people. More than that, uh, a couple things that have happened that have just been uh, uh, unexpected for us. So God has indeed not only sustained us, praise be to God, and, but he's also multiplied us. But even on in the online sphere, and, and, and I, see, I don't even know how to say this, like online, what does that even mean? Uh, uh, unexpectedly, he's, he's increased our online reach. For the first time ever, people are actually coming to the world well because like they watched us online, which is weird for me when someone says, hey, I've been watching your sermons uh, online. Like I, that's I don't like listening to myself, so... Thank you that y'all do that. Like, I I don't get it. Uh, But on our YouTube channel alone, over the past year, there's been 518 hours of watch time. That's a lot. Like, how do y'all have that time? Uh, Like, over, and that's from people from all over the world. We've had 106 hours of content watched over the last month alone. You know what the least watched city is? San Antonio. Some of y'all just found out we have a YouTube channel. Maybe that's why. But the point is that we're reaching people in different countries, different cities, from all across the country and in the world. Uh, what I'm po- the point I'm making is that there's there's reach happening that that is not happening. That is going beyond the city. God is multiplying efforts in that regard, and so. Moreover, we've heard testimonies of people tuning in from other countries. Uh, We've heard testimonies of military personnel hosting Bible studies around some of the content while they're deployed. Uh, There's some places where they can't go off base in order to to go to churches. Uh, And so how is all this possible? The reality is, if you've been here a while, you know we don't pander to anyone. And so how is this possible? How How is this possible? Well, it's because of Jesus. We preach the Bible straight no chaser. This is all possible because of this reality. Jesus, he reigns. He reigns. He is alive. He is working. It's he who we fix our eyes on. It is he who we worship. And we are just merely witnesses of what he is doing among us. And so as we enter into the Thanksgiving holiday, I want us to be thankful for that, to celebrate that. It's not work of our hands. It is only the work of God. And so we just praise God. He uses crooked sticks to make straight lines. And I want us to know this, that when, when we saw this in 1 Corinthians, when one member suffers, we all suffer, but one rejoices, we all rejoice. I think the church of Jesus oftentimes doesn't rejoice enough. There's a lot to rejoice in. So as we end this year, I want to celebrate what God has done. Here's the fun fact. It's not over. It's not over. Next week, we have child dedications, more babies. The following week, we have more baptisms. I don't know who's getting baptized yet, but we, we have a few, I think, lined up. Point is, Jesus is moving in the hearts of people still. We have seven weeks to the year to finish, to finish strong. So that's what we want to do in the last seven weeks with our giving campaign is we want to finish strong. And so let me forecast a little bit to you about what's up and coming in 2024. If you're a guest with us, just want you to know you've just entered into a family meeting. So we the, the couches are all laid out. We're all around. We've all entered into the living room. That's just just what happened. You're at a little family meeting. So you, you get to listen in. So you get to see a little behind the scenes. But but I spoke to this last week. That we're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail. And so uh, here's what's up and coming in 2024. I say this because also last week we said that the principle from scripture is to hold our plans loosely, make plans, behold them and be open to the Spirit changing direction. But the first thing uh, I want us to see is, is up and coming in uh, 2024 is is a uh, it's content publication. What we're going to do next year is we're going to begin the year in the book of Judges. Uh, if you haven't read Judges, uh, get a seatbelt. It, it's it's crazy. Uh, but uh, we're, I'm writing the study guide right now along with the help of one of our deacons, uh, Matt, who's helping with all the edits. And so what we're doing is trying to put together um, a, a, a guide to help you as you study, as we study together collectively, the book of Judges. And so in this year-end giving campaign, what we're gonna, it's going to help fund projects like this. So I think about it this way. We're kind of like a church like Theophilus. We're like Theophilus. We're trying to fund things so that we can give resources away and help God's word spread to more people so that the lovers of God can be strengthened and confident about what God has said. That's what we want to do. That's what we're about. And so uh, we want to love God. We want to make him known. We want to get that content out to everyone. Amen. That's what we want to do. Number two is online ministry. I just talked about that. I don't really know anything about it. Don't really necessarily know if I like it uh, because I don't like hearing myself. But the point is we want to steward that. We want to steward that. We want God has expanded opportunities for us, and so we want to steward our steward our online opportunities and ministry we have there. And so uh, we're going to make plans to, to, to focus our attention a little bit more towards some of that online content coming forward in the future this next year. Number three, third goal that we have is to um, a local church planting cohort to start one. Um, And so I'm in talks with some folks about starting this, but here's the reality. in a culture, a current culture is not only hostile to Christianity, but pastoral burnout and church closure is on the rise. It's on the rise in our nation. And so what we want to do is play a part in in helping pastors navigate this cultural moment to put steel in their spine, hope on their horizon so that they would not quit but they would continue to endure in a healthy way. And so we want to be a part of helping start something like that locally here in San Antonio. Number four is that uh, pastoral residency program. So our aim is by the end of the year, so this is our aim, by the end of the year, we want to have officially started and launched a pastoral residency program um, and have enlisted our first resident residents. And so this will be a three-year leadership development program uh, that will assess, it will train and enlist called competent men to pastor churches and plead church planters, whether it be in the city or, or abroad. Uh, but this that, that is our aim that God is opening that door. We wanna step into that this next year. And number five, new worship space. We love this space. We love it here. But we per- perceive that by the end of the year next year or maybe before, then we're gonna need a new space. We don't have the money to do that right now. We need miracles. And so I'm just putting this out there to something for us to see what's coming and to be prayerful for. It's likely that we'll have to move to three services before the end of this, uh, or maybe not before the end of this year, but by Easter of next year. And so at that point, once we move to three services, we kind of in our mind believe in wisdom that we're on a six-month basis. Clock that we have to be out of here in six months if we move to three services. So that's why we've tried to delay that as much as possible. We'll see next service, it gets full. And so thank you all for coming to the first service. Great. Um, and so this is our prayer. This is our goal. This is what we need God to do. And so, in order to help us achieve these goals, the elders and I, we've prayed and, and we have a, a year end giving. Christ, Jesus reigns. Christmas giving campaign goal of $35,000 above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings. We believe that that, that amount will help give meaningful effort towards uh, taking the necessary steps towards accomplishing those goals. And so we've pr- what I want you to do is we want to invite you, not now, but we want you to over the next seven weeks, this will end at the very end of the year and we won't continue this campaign into the next year, but right now we want to invite you to pray about giving, being a part of this. If you you are not giving regularly, I will ask this. If you're not giving regularly, set up regular giving moving into the next month and into the next year. Giving regularly, monthly, regularly is very helpful and needed for us as a church to forecast and plan these goals. But if you are and you consider this church your home and you're giving regularly and faithfully, I want you to now pray about giving towards this year-end giving campaign goal. See, I believe God wants to use us all. To accomplish this, but what I'm asking is that you just participate. Pray and participate. Ask God how he would want you to participate, and trust that he's going to use, if he can use five fishes, a few fishes and some loaves, two, um, he can multiply any of our efforts. I want us to see that, because Jesus reigns. If we believe what we just talked about in scriptures, we can believe him for his provision. That is what is up and coming this next year. That's what we're fixing our eyes on as we move into the next year. And this is what we're praying that God would provide so that we could not just just close out the year, but close out the year with an exclamation mark. I'm out of time. Let me pray. Jesus, you are king. You are God. You reign. You've come. You've died in our place for our sins. You've risen victoriously. You've offered salvation, and you are coming again. This Christmas season, throughout this sermon series, may we fix our eyes on your first coming, investigating these claims, and drawing great confidence in the fact that these are real, actual, truth, historical, accurate facts. Cling closely to your word. Would you, for us who are like John the Baptist, who are are just discouraged and perhaps without hope, when we're spiraling towards despair, would you remind us that the blind have received sight, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead have been risen. Jesus, you are alive. You are ruling and reigning. And the fact that we are sinners saved is evidence that that everything you have said is true. May we believe that, may we cling to that, may we rejoice in that, and may you empower us to live spirit-filled lives this season, in Christ's name.